Welcome to episode 26 of the Local Meta. My name is Fletcher. And I'm John. So, John, you're not prepping for the Invitational tomorrow. I'm not. I I technically earned an invite, but I didn't accept it because, in my opinion, I didn't earn it. As weird as that sounds. No, if anybody who knows you heard that, they'd just be like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, John speak John. Yeah, like, I apparently the few times I showed up to draft, I did well enough where I got points to be on, like, the wildcard slots. But oh, cool. I didn't, like... It was, like, the... one, Like, you know, the I was in the, well, you're one of the available alternates because of how many points you have things. And mm-hmm. in, I'm weird and don't think that's deservant of myself, even though I think it's perfectly reasonable for people to play in the Invitational who qualified that way i just like i didn't play my heart's not really in it because i haven't been playing really and yeah i'd show up if i got an invite well yeah but there's there's a lot of people who like i told i was telling people for a while actually that i wasn't going to and they're Mm -hmm. like well you know you could probably i if we're being real if i did not have points and i said hey can i play in the invitational anyways because i'm me they probably would have said yes (laughs) <laughs> that seems like it would be far worse, but <laughs> yeah. And then, like, you probably could just ask for a special invite. I'm like, I could, but I didn't earn it. And I just don't want to play. So, like, you and you and your honor. I know. But good luck to everyone at our for the local invitational. Yeah, I have a, I have a standard deck, a modern deck, a 25% of another modern deck. And three lands in another modern deck that are going to be in the Invitational tomorrow. So so you'll be there in spirit. Most definitely. I literally have a deck in every format. <laughs> <laughs> Except draft. Taste it. Well, yeah, but I, <laughs> I don't have any unopened packs to count, so... Alright. But, well, so, somewhat on topic, um, we're going to be talking about your game day tournament prep report <laughs> or whatever it is but kind of a tournament report for your the uh, game day that came was here recently the hour of devastation game day yeah like i i kind of went a little deeper into this game day than i normally do and we, i just thought it would be a kind of interesting topic to go over like what all i did and like just how the game days itself went in general because we have a lot of local stores so we have a lot of local game days and i played in three actually and serious business yeah progressively did better every time so you know well that's a good sign (laughs) yeah means i earned it right sure (laughs) (laughs) uh, okay so uh i guess where do you want to start off on this for us I mean, prep's probably the best way to start. Okay. You know, like this, the stuff that I, like I said, I, I really wanted this playmat because it has a bolus on it, and like the art looks gorgeous. It says Mastermind on the bottom, and it was just sweet, right? So, I, like I said, I went a little deeper into this than I normally do as a result of that. And, uh, yeah. So, my. The first thing that I did was I kind of did a little meta analysis, as it were, 
you know, us being the local meta, I tried figuring out what I thought was going to be played in our local meta. And this is also something that I would do if I was playing in the Invitational. So this is somewhat relevant to how I just go about things normally. Too bad this won't come out until after the Invitational. Well, you don't want to give anyone too too much of an advantage by listening to such a valuable podcast, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, very first thing, obviously, is the Pro Tour happened very recently, and that's going to have a pretty big impact on what people are going to be playing at game day. So, Did you see a lot of that effect? Just to ask the question. I did. Okay. Like, I saw more... It's it's a little weird in how it wound up happening, but like I saw it in one game day, but not really the others, okay. and that's just because okay. of how the people at, the, at those individual stores play. But okay, so like first thing was going like you know thinking about the pro tour and what all happens, and then I just started like ingesting people's opinions on things after the pro tour, right? Like, I read a lot of articles by people who read the Pro Tour, their opinions on red, their opinions on decks that are good against red. And then I kind of started applying that to the people who I expected to be at the game days. And there were the same weekend of game day was also Grand Prix Minneapolis, which is, you know, a three hour drive from my local meta. And that also had an impact on things. So how, what kind of impact does that have? The main thing that it did was a lot, like the upper echelon, as it were, of people, they're probably not going to be at game day, okay. right? So they're going to want to be spiking the, the they're going to want to be spiking the GP, you know, they're going to tr- want to try and do good there, go for their... You know, go for the experience, go to try and make top eight, go to try and qualify for the pro tour, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, Since you can't get vacation. Yeah, I'm not allowed to take vacations this time of year because me, I guess. <laughs> uh, I'm fine. Don't worry. <laughs> um, so, you know, like one of the people that was going down, I knew he's a very big proponent of green black, and green black has a good matchup against red so and like a lot of the people who are going down they like there was going to be fewer of the type of decks that i know they play is basically how things go and i took that into consideration when i was trying to figure out what deck i wanted and so then it kind of came down to like me trying to assess who did i expect to not go to the grand prix because they a just did weren't really into that kind of thing, or B they thought they could spike the gameplay the playmat when all of the big fish were no longer around as I was putting it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually was kind of right about that in literally the two people who I expected to not go to the Grand Prix and try and spike the playmat tried to spike the playmat. <laughs> These are. These are individuals who tend to not really show up whenever they think it's going to be a competitive environment. Not because they themselves aren't competitive, but because they themselves don't... I think they come to the realization that they're not quite as good as the truly competitive people. Okay. And part of that comes down to 
the type of decks they enjoy they enjoy playing, and another part of it comes down to they just don't quite play as well as other people. So then, once I kind of figured out what I expected the meta to be like, which in my in this case I expected there to be some people on red, I expected there to be people playing decks that they perceived as being good against red, and then my meta being my meta, I expected there to be people playing deck they randomly thought was fun at the time. Okay. Because that's just something that happens in... I mean, you're going to have some amount of that just regardless, right? Yeah, that that's just a default. Like, that's going to happen. Like, if the deck's even remotely okay and doing big splashy things, people are going to be playing it because they enjoy it. So, right? so do you put a lot of, like, uh, mental energy into beating those decks? Not really. Okay. The way I go about it in that regard is I just kind of hope that... I try, for my deck selection, I try and make sure that my deck is just well-rounded, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the thing about people playing decks like that is the reason why those decks aren't a large part of the meta is because they're either just, like, generically worse than something else that's already in the meta, or they have a fail rate and can't handle, they can't stand up to a deck that has a concise game plan that it's consistently playing towards, right? Okay. Like, you can yeah, have... we won't get too much into this actually, just because we might be able to do an entire episode on this, on analyzing, on analyzing meta and prepping for a tournament. Yeah, probably. But basically, there's reasons that you don't prep for it. Yeah. Like. Okay. So then, the next step beyond this is uh, deck selection. And this is where I, I had two choices for what I wanted to do. I was either going to build a control deck, which if anyone who knows me kind of expects, or I was highly considering green-black. Uh, green-black just has a good matchup against red. It has a good matchup against the like zombies, which is also good against red. It has a solid matchup. Against, like It's just generically good against anyone. And control is just a lot more my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. And I I had a lot of, you know, like, basically soul-searching that I had to do where I was trying to figure out, you know, what I really wanted to do. Did I have faith in my ability to build a solid control that I just want to play the safe deck? Because while I don't play mid-range decks very often... I do consider myself to be a good enough player that I can pick up a mid-range deck relatively well and do good with it, so I can still leverage my personal play skill against people uh, to a reasonable enough degree where it probably still would have been a safe choice for me. But the last time I really played a mid-range deck was back when Virgins was still legal. So it's been a little while, I'm a little rusty, and it's really hard for me to find a mid-range deck that has, like, a basic list that I can kind of get behind to try and modify to my own liking. And so I I, I basically wound up falling into the personal preference of, I'm just going to play Control, because I'm comfortable with Control, I know Control, I understand Control, and I figured I can probably make a pretty solid list in that regard. And you think personal preference was the tipping point in that one? Absolutely. Like, I, personal preference does matter, and I think anyone will tell you that. Like, if you're someone who's, like, it's the same for, like, 
older formats, right, with like Modern or Legacy. If you're comfortable playing a deck, you're better off playing that deck than you are if you try and switch to the Quotations Best deck, because you just, you know your basic game plan, you know what you're trying to do and how you're trying to do it, and you just kind of go from there, right? I mean, we've we've said before in the show that our opinion at least is, for those formats, Modern and Legacy especially, that picking a deck and understanding it inside and out is going to get you more wins than picking whatever deck is the best each time. And I I do also consider that to be relevant even in Standard. Like, even in Standard where decks, there can very clearly be a best deck. (laughs) Like, just like, you know, I tend to choose decks that are slightly outside the norm. You know, like, I I played Jundelirium back when... Green Black Delirium was just considered to be the better deck in almost every way. You know, I I enjoy playing weird decks, and I tend to be able to understand them easily, and I can definitely use that to my advantage because people don't expect they're not people shouldn't prepare for that one random person, basically, and it does give me an advantage when they're mm-hmm. still playing in the general meta and I can just kind of tailor around that. Yeah. Okay, so we figured out what the meta should possibly look like. You picked out a deck. Where do we go from there? Now we kind of get into like the deck modification section. Okay. Where like if you're doing things properly, you kind of have weeks to do this kind of stuff. Where like what you should do is you should take the list as is, you should play the list as is, and you should try and get a feel from the deck from there. I didn't have that much time. So I kind of just, you know, I got a little egotistical. I looked at the list and I'm like, all right, I get what they're doing. This is what I'm going to do to make it better. And <laughs> But like, the thing is, is with a list though, right? Like you look at that list and it's like when I look at a legacy list or something like that, that I've been looking at and you'll see a card and you'll be like, well, this card's probably really, really good for the tournament this deck showed up in. But against the meta I'm playing against, it does almost nothing because I don't expect to see that deck. Yeah, like that's basically what it came down for me, where it's like, you know, I I, cho- I decided I wanted to play a Jeskai control list because I wanted the white for life gain, I wanted the red for the really good removal, and I'm playing control, so obviously I'm playing blue. And so I looked at the four-color control list that won the SCG Open right after release week, and I like I looked at the list and like I I liked the list, but I there's a lot of aspects of the deck that I didn't like. Right? Like I did not like the fact that he was playing so many Dovinbon. I did not like the fact that he like just a lot of his selection on stuff I just wasn't a huge fan of and I wanted a little bit more. You know, like I did not think it was worth playing Nicol Bolas in the deck. Bolas is absurdly powerful, but he's a 7-drop, and casting him on turn 7 is not necessarily a guarantee, so if he's rotting in your hand, he's very, very worthless. You Mm -hmm. are reliant on drawing one of five lands in your deck that can even produce black, and if you don't draw that, you're kind of just boned, and... But I still was able to use, like, the basis of his deck as something to go off of, right? And so I just kind of like figured out what it is that I wanted to try and deal with. So I, the, uh, most of my changes came in the sideboards, but some of them came in the main. Like I cut Dovin Bond. I cut 
Um, uh, Nicol Bolas. I'm trying to. Uh, I need to look up the list real quick. One second. Sorry. Time flies. I cut his Dovin bonds. I cut his Nicol Bolas God Pharaoh, and I also trimmed down to only 26 lands because I'm really weird and I don't like 27 lands in my control deck. Um, one pseudo justification for that is I'm no longer trying to cast a seven drop on turn seven, so I just have more room to work with, as it were. Plus, while the deck is not playing hieroglyphic illumination, it still has stuff like you know sensor in it and supreme wills and stuff like that, and I can use that to try and leverage myself into a um, you know, like get the lands I need to cast my stuff. And one of the big things I did was, in cutting the Dovin Bonds and such like that, I wound up bringing... I decided to play a Chandra Flamecaller. I'm playing a Locust God. I kept his Linvala. I kept the Trench with Gearhulk. So all of my six drops can be very, very impactful on the board for what they are. Like, a lot of them either gain value immediately upon entering the battlefield, or they can just kind of, like, you know, they're extremely resilient and hard to deal with, and I actually won a game against someone where they kept attacking me with a Bristling Hydra during an FNM, and I just kept blocking them with my Locust God over and over and over. And they couldn't deal anything with it, because during the red step I got my Locust God back. And eventually I drew into a land where I could cast a draw spell. And then I just chump blocked with the Locust, and then I untapped with the Locust got in play. And he lost that game. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'll try to put this list in the um, show description if people want to see it, uh, John's list for this uh, event. So. Um. One of the other changes that I made, actually, that I think was kind of important, was I com I cut Fumigate, and I decided to play Hour of Devastation instead. Um, the reason for this is he originally played Fumigate because he was playing so many Planeswalkers. I cut down to only having three in the entire deck, so Fumigate is or Hour of Devastation is no longer as bad for me. And being able to kill the original gods, I think, is highly relevant. So I also had to do some tweaking on the mana base to make it so it was more red-heavy than white. And otherwise, the deck was... It's kind of nifty, you know? I I was able to do what I wanted with it, which was just entertaining. Alright, so then after that, and I modified the deck to be what I wanted it to be, the next stage it should be testing. And I didn't get very much testing in, Literally all I got was I showed up to my local game store on a Wednesday and I just played like three games against another control deck just to like <laughs> kind of get like a basic feel for how the deck wound up playing out. And it it felt okay. You know? Like it wasn't like super amazing by any stretch. It wasn't like, you know, it didn't feel like it was breaking the meta, but it didn't feel terrible, which is basically, like, right where I kind of want to be with a control deck. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm playing a control deck in standard. There, I am never getting a free win against anyone. Like, yeah. that's not how a control deck works. I mean, in a, in a perfect world, what I would do is I would, you know, I'd 
go to a couple FNMs, I'd I'd grind the deck against some people, I'd like test it against like a multitude of things and like just kinda get a feel for what works and what doesn't. I didn't really have that. But fortunately, the fact that I decided to play in three different game days meant that I kind of got a couple, you know, more important tournaments to actually get a feel for how the deck works. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Why don't we get into the juiciness of it then? All right. So why, don't this, you, why don't you give us the, the report? This, this, this is, you know, I'm just going to be talking about, like, how my tournament wound up going and such, and... Uh, little things that I came to conclusions on as all this kind of went around. My the first game day I played was at a store I don't normally play at, but it ha- it was going on at noon. I was effectively free at that time, and I wanted to try and win play match, so I went. <laughs> and so round one, match one, uh, my opponent was on a pile of jank. Like, okay. <laughs> like, we're talking Gitrog Monster, Mina and Den, Wildborn, Sylvan Advocate, which is still a good magic card. And mm-hmm. just a bunch of weird stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And I had really bad draws game one. And I suppose there wasn't it wasn't like really bad in the sense that I didn't do anything. It was really bad in the sense that we played like a good like many turns with mm-hmm. many many spells being cast on both sides and at no point during that entire game did i ever draw a win con <laughs> like he eventually wound up being able to stick a threat that i didn't have an answer for at that exact time i never drew on my own win con and he wound up winning game 1 it was a very long, drawn-out affair, and yeah. <laughs> so we go to sideboard, we we flip some stuff around, you know. We go to game two, and at that, this is where you know control deck does control deck things. You know, mm-hmm. I counter everything that needs to be countered. I kill everything that needs to be killed. I find out that he randomly kept in really bad removal against me. Like, he still had Fatal Pushes in his deck against the Control yeah. deck. And it's like nothing in your it, deck. The only thing that I can imagine is he kept it in to deal with my Wandering Fumerals. Oh, but okay. here's the thing, right? If you're worried about killing a Wandering Fumeral, I'm either so far ahead that, you know, you're dead anyways because you have a removal spell that can only hit my lands when I'm killing you with my lands when any other threat or discard spell or anything would probably have you still in the game, or you're already so far ahead that I'm trying to chump block with my lands, where (laughs) having a discard or another threat would be just as good, if not better. Mm -hmm. So, and I just, I wound up beating him relatively easily. And then we go to game three, and this is where my deck just kind of kicks me in the teeth. I get stuck on four lands, I never. I wound up having to like cast a glimmer at one point, draw two lands off of it, and I try and claw my way out of the game. But he just draws a couple too many threats when I'm having mana issues, having to cast card draw to get lands just to even try and stay in the game, and he winds up winning game one. So mm-hmm. it was a little annoying, 
wasn't too happy about it, especially since decks like his are kind of what I built my deck to be good against. Like, the fact he was playing a weird form of mid-range literally had no impact on how good my deck was against him, just because of the mm-hmm. fact that like he's still playing a mid-range deck, and none of the creatures that he played that were unique or different gave him any sort of advantage in any at any point. Right? Mm-hmm. Like It's like he's playing a 4-4 four, for four, 4 that he's allowed to like give a creature trample by returning a land he controls to his hand, and that just doesn't matter mm-hmm. for me, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Gitchrog Monster is annoying because Gitchrog Monster is a six-six, so it's a little hard for yeah. me to burn out. But it's not like it's not impossible for me to kill, especially if I'm actually able to like cast my glimmers and stuff like that. So I lost my very first actual match with the deck, which. Felt kind of bad. Well, actually, I suppose I did play mm-hmm. during FNM, but first match that mattered. So then we go to we go to our second match, and this is a a friend of mine. He's a good guy, and he gets paired down against me, and he he asks me for the concession, which fair, I no problems him just are asking for it mm-hmm. because you know he he got the pair down. He wants to try and play for the man. If I beat him, things get really awkward. And I'm like, I just want to play. I just, you know, I'd like to play it out and see what happens. Uh, he he doesn't get mad or anything. He's like, fair enough. Just wanted to ask. So we play our we play our game. And this is like this was literally like everything you think of when you think of a control deck doing control deck things. And like I survived. <laughs> I survived the early pressure he put on me. You know, I killed the. The early creatures, I counterspelled the threats that were an issue, like Planeswalkers. And it was kind of just, you know, I'm doing what my deck's supposed to be doing, and he's, you know, having... He's he's effectively losing to the matchup that it's... He's not necessarily supposed to lose to, but it's not necessarily... Like, he is not advantaged in any way. Yeah. And I wind up 2 owing him, and I still wind up giving him the match... Because, um, for two reasons. A, by me doing this, it results in him um, him and one other person being the only people playing for the playmat. Which makes life a lot easier in general. Plus, I had to go to your son's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so, it was, a, it was a nice little, you know. It just, I would have felt bad if I just, like, knocked him out and then dropped anyways. So, it was, uh, yeah. going That'd to... That would have kind of been a dick move, I suppose. Yeah, so I mean, I just I, I I let him have the match anyways. I just went and I you know I left, went to the birthday party and just kind of like evaluated how things going. So I have a really nice habit apparently of conceding to people after I beat them two zero. So I'm pretty <laughs> apparently, sure every time I've conceded, apparently it's been that. So yep, I've gotten that. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Okay. So that was game day 1. That was that was game day 1 followed by a birthday, followed by a housewarming party. I had a really busy it was Saturday. A busy weekend. And then I went to second game day. Mm-hmm. And this is the this is the one at my actual game store that I primarily play at. And so these are people that I know. I play against them a lot and this is kind of what I chose a lot of my deck based on. Um mm-hmm. I feel kind of weird because I actually have no recollection about 
anything involving my round one opponent. I don't remember <laughs> who it was. I don't remember what they played. All I remember is that I won. And that's okay. literally it. Cool. Yeah. Like, I I have no idea what happens, but, you know, I won. Yeah, you had a, you had a Fletcher moment. <laughs> yeah. Which is really interesting, seeing as how I wrote all, like, I'm... I wrote all of my notes for all of this like a week after everything. And I knew yes. everything except this one match. This one match is just gone from my mind. I don't know why. Okay. <laughs> so match one match one you win. Yeah, match one match I win. Two. Match two is against uh, a guy who I know playing Teamer Energy. And he thinks this matchup is bad for him, but he only thinks this now that I talked to him. I think at the time he thought it was better. This matchup can be really poor if you don't draw things in the right order. Um, <laughs> they play stuff like Glorybringer, which is a hasty flying threat, so if you're not holding open counter spells or instant speed removal, it's guaranteed to dunk you. They play stuff like Bristling Hydra, which it can make itself hexproof, and it can it can grow itself with plus one plus one counters, which makes it very difficult to kill with burn spells, which are what the majority of my kill spells are. And he also, he's playing blue out of the sideboard, so he has a couple negates and stuff like that. Um, the match, I think he wins game, I think I win game one, he wins games two and three, is how it wound up going. Mm -hmm. And I just had one of those times where it just felt like, you know, I'm just drawing poorly in general. I, all I really remember about my losses is I was sitting there with like my hand, my head in one hand, and I'm just like drawing one card a turn and immediately playing the land that I draw off the top. I distinctly recall <laughs> this happening in multiple games. So, okay. did not draw exceptionally well, but you know, it happens. And then, so, match three um, is against a model red opponent. I think the only reason why I won this match as handily as I did was because he kept kind of slow hands. I actually wound up 2-0-ing him, which I do think that the deck is not, like, terrible for me, but I don't think the deck is in my favor enough to where I should have 2-0'd him, especially when he was on the play. Uh, he just kept slowish hands in general, but he kept hands with resilient threats. The problem is I'm playing a deck that's able to deal with his resilient threats. I'm also playing stuff like, I have two main deck, Blessed Alliance and Linvala, so I have multiple instances of life gain in my, in my deck. And if you ever kind of resolve Linvala against the red opponents, if they can't just kill you on the spot or have a lot of burn saved up, gaining five, like you're guaranteed to gain five life, and it's very easy for you to also get a second 3-3 Flying Angel. So she just kind of <laughs> takes over the game. And I boarded, I actually had like sideboarded uh, um, Authority of the Consoles, which negates all of his hasty creatures and gains me a life every time he plays a creature, just to buy me time <laughs> to get to the point where I can start casting my big stuff. So this match actually goes, you know, it goes exactly how I would want it to happen, not necessarily how I expect it to happen. Like, I do think my draws were slightly above average. 
and his, like I said, he kept really slowish hands. It was not, ex you know, exceptional, but I don't think the matchup is terrible by any stretch either. So, and then there was something <laughs> weird with Event Reporter, where we actually had nine people, so we should have played one more round, which actually gave me a shot at the playmat. But for some reason, Event Reporter ended the tournament at, after only three rounds. Oh, weird. Yes, so the guy with Team Energy wound up winning. He went. He was the only. He was the only 3-0, but he should have had to face off against someone else. Where if he lost, me and the other person who were playing had a chance of leapfrogging him effectively. Um, but that did not happen. He wound up winning the play mat, and you know, props to him. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> and then we kind of go into our the you know. As that was the end of my night. I went home, and I started evaluating things. You know, like, how did things wind up working, and my opinion on how everything wound up flowing. And I kind of came to a realization in match two against Teamer Energy that Sensor is not a good card, at least in my meta anymore. And the reason for that is the fact that like every single person I was playing against, if I had two open mana, they played around sensor. While that's good, that means that I'm not able to like if my opponent's already going bigger, as it were, that means I'm not able to actually trade my card legitimately one for one against any of theirs. And it just makes it very poor in that regard. So I wound mm -hmm. up actually cutting the my the original list that I played, I actually had cut down to only one Supreme Will. I completely cut all the sensors and put in two more Supreme Will to bump it up to three. Because while everyone plays around sensor and it can cycle to draw you a card, no one plays around Supreme Will. And I can cast it to you know pick the best out of the top four. So like as far as I'm concerned, like it's just better than sensor in almost every way. Because you'll almost never get someone with sensor. Like, I'm probably going to board... I'm probably going to put the sensors back in the deck just for um, FNMs and stuff, because I'm more likely to play against people who won't play around sensor. But at least for the rest of game day, sensor just is not what I wanted to have anymore. And then I also... Okay. Made, I, yeah, I made a change in my sideboard also, where I cut the one Glorybringer I had in my sideboard and instead put a Solemnity in my sideboard. Um, hmm. The justification for that is at no point had I ever actually boarded in the Glorybringer. It's good against like the mid-rangey style decks, it's good against zombies, but it was bad against like the Teamer Energy, which is the mid-range that was kind of the you know, all over game days. And Solemnity was basically like the one thing I needed to be able to actually beat a lot of those decks. Because Solemnity keeps them from being able to put plus one, plus one counters on their creatures, which means even though the Hydra still gains Hexproof, it's not getting bigger. Even though, you know, they're, like, like it allows me to keep their creatures at a manageable level so I can still kill them with removal. And if I can stick it early enough, then they're also not able to uh, get the energy in general to even be able to do anything. And it just, it makes all my burn spells better if I happen to be able to play it. Okay. So those were the the few changes that I made in between a second game day leading into third game day. 
All right, let's get to third game day then. All right, third game day started out relatively good for me. Uh, my opponent was on Grixis control, and I happened to 2-0 them. Um, I was on the play, which I don't necessarily think is very important in a control mirror. I think being on the draw can sometimes be a lot better, because you get that extra card draw, you have a ch more chances of hitting lands. But I cast mm -hmm. a Glimmer on my opponent's fourth turn end step, and they responded with their own Glimmer because they didn't have a counterspell from mine, and they wanted to be able to you know, resolve theirs. I personally don't counter draw spells in control mirrors. I don't think it's worth it. I counter threats. But some people mm -hmm. disagree with that. They would rather counter the draw spells. So he resolved his Glimmer of Genius, and then I resolved mine, and this allowed me to untap, play a land, and cast Jace Unraveler of Secrets. And things just kind of went massively downhill for my opponent from there. You just, you just saddled him up and ran, rode him to victory? Yeah, like he, like he wound up having to play all very awkwardly because I had Jason play. If I ever ultimate Jason, I counter the first spell he plays every turn. I'm kind of just winning. And mm -hmm. I'm I'm, you know, I'm playing in such a way where I'm like trying to get to a point where I can ultimate my Jace because I know that it's effectively yep. just slamming the door on him and it forces him to play really weird because you know, suddenly I'm able to like resolve Gearhawks because he has to hold open his disallow to disallow my ultimate. And mm -hmm. As I wind up, I cast, I cast Jace. I was I, or I cast like gear hooks and stuff, and I am able to ultimate Jace. And as I ultimate the Jace, he just concedes because he knows he's not coming back from that. Yep. And then we go to game two, where he's on the play this time. He, I wind up going turn one, or no, I don't do turn one. That he casts like a. A thing in the ice at some point and I'm able to counter it and then like after that I'm able to resolve a Dragon Master outcast which mm -hmm. you know the games are going to go long he probably doesn't have any of his cheap removal left in his deck I'm able to finagle it to a point where that thing's just making a bunch of 5-5 five, five dragons every turn and he winds up dying and this is where I kind of get a little bit of vindication, where he has to cycle multiple sensors throughout the entire match. <laughs> and, you know, because yep. I'm never playing into it, because we're applying a control mirror. Like, in general, mm -hmm. you'll never get to censor something in a control mirror. And he just, you know, just was not drawing very well as a result of that. And so, yeah, it felt good cutting my own sensors for Supreme Wills. And then... <laughs> My next match was against another control opponent, which, in his opinion, this is a terrible matchup for him. Uh, I wound up winning 2-1. He won game one because I literally drew every single red burn spell in my entire deck. And I, at <laughs> no point did I have any counterspells. <laughs> uh, his deck is a little on the weird side. Um, the person who plays it, I know he likes playing weird things. His win con was almost entirely approach of the second sun. Okay. Like so, fair enough. You see that sometimes in control list and standard now. Yeah. And he was, you know, he's just playing like you know stuff to get to that point where he can take advantage of that, you know. And 
he winds up winning because, like I said, I did not draw any counterspells the entire game. He actually resolved his own chase, ultimated his own chase, mm-hmm. and cast his second approach of the second sun for the win after he ultimated the chase, so I couldn't counter it. Just to lock it up. <laughs> yep. Yep, so we go to game two, and like on turn two, I was actually able to resolve a Kirk of Condemnation against him. Mm-hmm. I don't normally bring in Crook in Control Mirrors. I don't think it's worth it. But with his specific list, he's very reliant on Commit to Memory because he only has like two Approach of the Second Set on his entire deck. So he needs to be able to like shuffle stuff back in. And like he's basically playing for the ultimate long game, right? Because as long as he yeah. can resolve that second Approach, he just wins. And so Yeah, I, I mean, you're playing a long game, he's playing like... The long yeah. game. I, I want the game to go to, like, you know, turns 20-ish. He wants the game to go to, you know, one of us could possibly deck. And so yeah. <laughs> so he... I wind up getting that against him, and I'm able to lever, leverage that in such a way where I keep, like, eating everything relevant in his graveyard. And at one point, like, as soon as he untaps with six mana and pass the turn, I actually... I activate Crook to eat his the only thing in his graveyard, which is a Glimmer of Genius, which compels him to try and cast his um, uh, Torrential Gear Hulk on his own turn, and I'm able to Essence Scatter the Torrential Gear Hulk, which, so I, I'm i able to trade, you know, I'm able to trade a creature-based counterspell for one of the best cards in his deck, plus I eat his Glimmer, which makes all of his future Gear Hulks better, and then I'm able to actually untap and play a Jace on Raveler Secrets. You'll notice a trend here where I try and bait my opponent into tapping out of their turn so I can resolve a Jace. (laughs) (laughs) And fortunately for him, he actually has answers to stuff like Jace. Or no, sorry, I did not resolve a Jace. I resolved a Nahiri. Oh, okay. Sorry, not quite as good as Jace, but I still was able to bait out the Nahiri. Um, So I was able to use that to... You know, filter out like the excess lands I'm drawing for more counterspells and stuff. At one point, he casts the Ulamog that he boarded in against me, <laughs> which exiles my Nahiri and my Crook. But at that point, I already have a very large advantage against him. I'm able to actually mm-hmm. scatter the Ulamog also. And I'm able to get to a point where I can just kind of take over the game, anyways. And game three, he kind of got unlucky. I don't remember if he missed his third land drop or his fourth land drop, but he missed a lot of land drops, which allowed me to just get mm-hmm. out way ahead of him. I was able to resolve a lot of threats when he just didn't have anything. And, you know, there's there's a few points where, like, he really wished he could have actually cast, like, counter spells to counter stuff I was playing, but he had to use his mana to cast Glimmer to hit land drops instead. And that was just, it was a very bad place for him to be. I didn't really feel great about winning game three, but I mean, I suppose. Like, yeah, I mean, but that's yeah. magic. Yeah, that, that that's magic. My game one was very much a lot like his game three. And, you mm-hmm. know, that's just kind of what happens. Uh, okay. He's, he's a good guy, though. He enjoys playing Jank, and normally it's exciting, but sometimes it's mildly yeah. terrifying when they board in an Ulamog against you. Yeah. <laughs> Call that the real long game. <laughs> uh, then round three was against Mono Black Zombies. 
and this guy wound up 2-0-ing. Um, my he did not play perfect by any stretch, but the the yeah the the mistakes that he made weren't like they're not what won me the game by any stretch. Like he would do stuff like activate his Armandal or his Westvale Ivy on his turn, and he would activate his Crypt Breaker on his turn and stuff, but. There was no point where he did that, and I wound up leveraging that into like a board wipe or anything. Um, it was just like he would do that, and he's—it's just really weird timing on his part. And he actually asked me after the fact if there was anything that I noticed that he could have like blatantly done different, and that was actually the one thing that I told him. So props to him for actually, you know, being curious about things he, you know, could have done better. Yeah, that's good. I mean, you always want to get better. Yeah. Um, the main thing that sticks out for me in this regard is game one against him. He he pl wound up playing out to the board really fast, like, and he's like flooding the board and stuff. And like I said, he plays a Westvale Abbey, and it's really difficult for me to beat a Westvale Abbey normally. But mm -hmm. I was playing in such a way to try and bait him into using it. You know, like, I was kind of killing, like, the minimum number of creatures I could and stuff. And I just wanted him to really think that Westvale Abbey was, like, his best out. Because a lot of the removal that he'd seen me play already had been red-based. And obviously, red-based removal spells can't deal with an indestructible flyer. So, yeah. I wound up getting him to a point where I was only at, like, I was really low on life. I wasn't dead because of what I had in my hands. So even if he just like attacked all out, I wouldn't have died. But it would he would have been in a pretty reasonable spot if he had. But he had exactly five creatures when he untapped and exactly six lands. So he flips his Westville Abbey into Ormondal. And then he attacks me. And then I tap four mana and I say, Blessed Alliance, you sacrifice an attacking creature and I'll gain four life. And uh, yeah, his exact so that words, blessed alliance was like a six for one. Yeah, like it was absolutely brutal. And he's like, I was not expecting that card out of your deck. And you know, I'm like, yeah, no one ever does. <laughs> and yeah, he, I wound up, you know, winning as a result of that. Yeah, just massive, massive, you know, X for one in my favor. Mm -hmm. And he, so we go to game two, and it's it's not the most memorable of games. I distinctly recall casting a Radiant Plant and wiping his board, and I played a lot of removal. And he actually boarded in a, uh, oh, what's the card? Name a non-artifact card. A oh, Lost Legacy. Borderland Lost Legacy to try and... Oh, really? Yeah, try and get my Locust God out of my deck. Because it's really hmm. hard for him to deal with a Locust God when I make a million blockers. Yeah. yeah. I wound up countering it because I figured that's exactly what he wanted to name anyways, and I had the Locust God in my hand already. <laughs> and I just didn't want to have to... <laughs> I, would, I chose to negate that spell rather than let him see what was in my hand. And I wound up resolving mm -hmm. the Locust God and Dragon Master Outcast, and I just murdered him with a bunch of flyers. Which, right. as you do. Mm -hmm. And then we go into our fourth 
match of the tournaments because for some reason, with once again only nine people actually playing, we actually go to the fourth round this time when we didn't the <laughs> prior. Fun fact, the number of times I was the sole undefeated going into round four, the number of times I've been the sole undefeated going into round four and lost the playmat because I lost round four, way more than is reasonable. Like, <laughs> legitimately tilts me out and I get really annoyed by it. Like, really annoyed. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. my opponent is my team or energy opponent from the night prior. We sit down, and I ask him, oh. would you like to concede to me since I am the only undefeated player as of right now? And he's like, no, I'd rather play. I say, okay. I'm not really that annoyed by him doing that. You know, he does what he wants to do. He wants to try and back-to-back -back win two playmats. That's fine. Um, mm -hmm. So we go, to our we go to our game one, and I just trounce him. Like, not even close and like we're all we we play the you know we play out the game and i wind up winning and like we go to sideboard he's like did you change your deck so you're playing a lot more removal now than you were prior i'm like no i just actually drew something other than lance this game and he just laughs at me <laughs> because like my draws are just so much better than they were the night before that even he notices the difference which is kind of entertaining um mm -hmm. game two he winds up winning he resolves multiple Bristling Hydra, and I'm kind of like mm -hmm. positioning us to a point where I actually wanted to cast the Hour of Devastation that was in my hand, and I was going to be able to completely wipe his board as long as he only had one Bristling Hydra, but he played a second Bristling Hydra, which gave him enough energy to make oh. his Hydra six toughness, which means I could no longer completely yeah. clear his board. <laughs> Woe was me. <laughs> so he winds up winning game two, and we go to game three. And game three was kind of, you know, as they say, academic. Like, there's really nothing to learn about game three. Like, I countered what needed to be countered, I killed what needed to be killed, and I played a threat that he had trouble dealing with. Yeah, like, there's... You just did exactly what you had to do. Yeah, I did exactly what I did exactly what I had to do, wanted to do, and was expected to do. Like there's, there's nothing unique and interesting happens except for there was a point in game three where I kill, I have just enough energy to kill his um, long tusk cub he has in play, and he can't save it. And so I kill it in his end step. I go to my turn. And I play a I untap drawn play solemnity, and at this point, it's basically locked up for him for me, because he has like a long tusk cub and like more servants of the conduit in his hand. But if he can't grow the cub, his cub it's a two two two. It will never be more than that. And he winds like you know I have like a I think I have a locust god in play, and I have like three locusts or something. And like as soon as I Solemnity, he just like reach like he offers a handshake. I won it at that point. Mm -hmm. Which actually kinda leads to a really interesting question from his perspective, not from mine. And I mm -hmm. I'm actually curious about this. Is it possible that from his standpoint, 
he actually should be spending energy to grow his long tusk cub to force me to spend my energy to make my future harness lightnings worse. And I don't know the answer. Yeah, I'm I'm not good enough at standard to know that either. Yeah, like it was a really interesting thought that I had because my harness lightnings don't do anything in at all if they can only deal three damage to someone. Like his creatures can grow yeah. way beyond that. So if he forces me to spend excess energy by spending like a lot of his like you know he at some points he had like 12 energy in play if he spends some of that to make me spend more of mine is it beneficial for him i'm not sure it's just interesting to think about but yeah yeah so that was that won me the play mat finally third time's the charm as they say good times so so in the end of this whole thing what what, what do you take away i guess from from your event so, all in all, I think the deck is still really powerful. Like, it does what I want it to do, and it did it with relative consistency. Uh, the mana probably still isn't perfect. It was a lot of, like, you know, me sitting at my desk, staring at my mana, counting the number of symbols I had on everything, counting the number of lands I had, and just kind of winging it. But I never <laughs> really did have, like, you know, horrible mana issues, and that's the one nice thing about my specific choices is I have very few double mana costs of anything before turn 6. I have like two disallows in the entire deck and that's it. Um, like I said prior, I do think Sensor probably should go back in but for cutting, like I absolutely agree that if you're playing in a higher level event, cutting Sensor for like in my case Supreme Will or you know, basically anything else is probably better for you, just because you need to be able to actually use your counter spells when you have them. And that's, you know, it's just so important that your counter spells actually do something. And you don't just want to have a, you know, one blue discard draw card, or like one blue draw card is just not good enough in standard. It has to have an impact. As to where, you know, three mana. Yeah choose the best out of the top four. That's half of uh, Dig Through Time right there. That's a pretty good magic card, actually. <laughs> half, half of Dig Through Time, I love yeah. it. <laughs> it's, it's half of a Dig Through Time at you know slightly more of the cost. That's perfectly fine. And there was multiple situations mm -hmm. throughout the entirety of the Sunday game day where if, if Supreme Will was Sensor, I probably would have actually lost. Because like you know like I have the supreme will in hand. I'm I'm either able to counter the thing when they have only two mana left open, or I'm able to like you know search for an actual hard removal spell where sensor would have just drawn me like a land off the top or something. Obviously, that's kind of results oriented thinking in the sense that like there's no way of controlling if I would have cycled sensor and drawn the perfect card. But being able to look four deep is so much more powerful. And yeah, hopefully. Yeah, I agree. I borrowed the like I said I borrowed the deck to someone for tomorrow. He also played it today and he went like five or he went three and two and only lost out on making top four and whatever he's playing on breakers. So, you know the deck definitely has potential, and I'm probably gonna keep working cool. on it and playing it for as long as it's good. So, yeah, that was a good breakdown. I like that. Do you have anything else before we close up or? I suppose this is less of a question for you and more of a question for 
those listening to the babblings. Uh, if you guys enjoyed something like this, you know, I kind of get like this for a lot of game days, and I really get into stuff like this when it's for invitationals, which in four months I'll be hopefully qualified and playing in one. <laughs> so if you, if people enjoy stuff like this, or they just want to hear me like do breakdowns of any of my random janky stuff I play, you know, let us know. Let me. Or yeah, let, let yeah. Know. Let us know if you like this. This is. Yeah, let let us know if you like this. This is kind of something new we're trying. Um, I feel like there's a lot of interesting information in picking apart events and stuff like this, and and some of the prep that goes into it, and and uh, things like that. So, um, if you found it interesting and helpful, let us know. If you did not, let us know still. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you. I mean, if you, you can let us know that information by shooting us an email um, to <laughs> thelocalmeta at gmail dot com, or sending us a tweet on Twitter at thelocalmetapc. Yeah, because we're on. How do you like that, man? That was a that was, that was sweet. I. You need to start posting <laughs> okay. our episodes on Twitter more, so I can link them to for the six followers I have. You you have access to the Twitter feed too, so you can do that when I forget. That's a different email account. Or that's a different password. I don't I probably know it, but I'm gonna say I don't know it and leave it all up to you. Okay. Aha. But <laughs> so <laughs> So I guess we'll call it for tonight. So um yeah, let us know what you thought and we will see you next time. See ya.